0: Hello. Hello, this is Teachings in the Air with Sahilthit. Today's podcast is called "O oh Canada." And it's about the impacts of identity on my mental health, on my physical health and my impact on my spirit. You know, I've had struggles in my life in regards to identity. And identity actually means, is referring to sameness. So when I'm in my community, when I was a child, I was the same. You know, my parents, my brothers, my sister, my cousins, my friends, we were all the same. You know, we were indigenous. So at home, I didn't have an identity problem because we were all the same. Of course, there was differences, you know, some were tall, some were short, you know. So, you know, as human beings, we're all human beings, but we're all different. We're all unique. And as a child, I seen that. And if I happened to make fun of someone as a child because they were not the same, then my parents would correct me and say, no, that's not that's not our way. We don't do that. So I learned to accept people that were different in my community, in my home. So identity there was not a problem. It was in my teen years that I started to learn history and also to venture out into the world because I grew up under res. You know, that's my home, my community. And I didn't hear people talking about racism there or any of the things that I hear today out, you know, in the air, Instagram, Twitter, those kinds of places. So, you know, as I grew up and I started to read and to Listen to different people, different um, professors, knowledge keepers, indigenous politicians, activists. I I learned that and through research and reading, and I come to understand that as indigenous people there was an identity created for us. Of course, first first off, we're identified as Indians. So we all became Indians in North America, South America. And I was uh, born steadily. I was not told that I was steadily as a child because we'd all transitioned to English. And I rarely heard Stetlium, Uchulmukch, in my community, in my home. So one of the things I discovered was that there were individuals that played a huge role in my identity, in my homeland, in my country, or on Turtle Island. you know, that um, who created this identity? In my mind, you know, (laughs) I reasoned that there were a few men that created this identity, that there were men that were in love with power, And power to them meant wealth, having more territory or land and water, and saying it's theirs, they have ownership over land and water and air. You know, that's power. And if they have a lot of minerals and like gold, you know, precious metals, diamonds, rubies, all of those that were seen as precious and valuable worth money. Those are the ones that I've come to understand that created this identity for us as indigenous people. The first identity that was let loose into the air were the words pagan savage heathens that the indigenous people in North and South America we're pagan, savage heathens because we did not know who Christ was or say that we're Christians. So the, this created identity was shared with everyone that were coming to Turtle Island. Oh, they're savage, pagan heathens there. That's not my imagination that these men are telling these men that are coming here because the first ones that came across the water were all men come here searching for wealth to become powerful. You know that pagan savage heathens in my imagination must have created fear in these Christians that were coming here. Oh, you be careful around those indigenous people. They're pagans. And, um, yeah, and you throw in that they're devil worshippers. They use the devil's tools. Their language is the devil's tongue. Created fear amongst those newcomers. Fear that transformed into anger, hate you know, the negative emotions about my people. So that identity of Indian at the start was not positive, was harmful to us as a people. I remember when I (laughs) became an Indian, I believe I was 18 years of age, and I was told to apply for a status card from the Department of Indian Affairs. That would be my identification card. So i applied applied for it, and I got this card It had my picture on there, and it had a number and I looked at the card and I was reading it and it it was um you know I got it from the Department of Immigration of Canada. And those were the ones that were making the Indian status cards. How weird is that? Here I come from a community, you know, that say they're living there for 5,000 years and i have been considered an immigrant. Uh, it's a, I don't think people, those men, knew the impacts. That this is the lasting impacts that this is going to have on Sahilfit. So you know, as uh, time went on, you know, um, they started to. Who's they? These men again, in power. That's what I believe the ones in power were creating identity. You know that they added to that Indian one word that created havoc in our indigenous society, our families and individuals. And that's problem, that we're an Indian problem, before we are in reservations, we, my, one of my elders told me, Jerry, wherever there was fresh water, our people were there. Hunter-gatherers, either hunting or gathering food and medicine off this territory that we existed on for thousands of years. You know, where, I, where I'm from, there was gold in, uh, in the rivers, and in the mountains. These ones from across the water, these Europeans, wanted that gold. That word Indian problem. You know, they started to add to the identity of my people. That I heard as a as a teenager, that were drunken, stupid, lazy, crazy, stinking Indians. You know that created identity when you let those words loose in the air and the children hear them. Of course, all children absorb what they see hear coming from coming through the air that lands on their ears goes into their mind and body. You know, the the one that really got to me was a drunken Indian because I wouldn't see intoxicated friends and relatives from my community. So I knew that, you know, we were drinking. And some... Unfortunates became alcoholic, and of course I would see those as a you know a tween and a teenager, and and of course I I shouldn't say of course, but what happened was I felt ashamed, because you know, to see someone intoxicated in public. then I started to become ashamed of my identity as Indian. I didn't want to be Indian. Shows you how messed up and confused I was then. Because I couldn't change my identity. I am who I am. I witnessed... uh, what happens to any human being in poverty, you know, and and we're incarcerated on the Indian reservations. And one of my elders said, Jerry, those are minimum security prisons in Canada. I witnessed seeing angry people. And I didn't know what they're angry at, but they're angry and they're angry at each other, at themselves. I seen violence. I seen depressed people. Unhealthy people. It so loomed so big in my mind I could not see the healthy ones, the resilient ones. I bought into this that were all crazy, drunken, lazy, stupid Indians. And the ones I saw seemingly had no shame. And their only purpose seemed to be it was drinking. No gumption, no get up and go. That's what I imagined. But this is an important lesson. It's wrong. It was wrong of me to be the judge and jury of an individual that is intoxicated because they were not intoxicated 24-7. When they come out of the haze, the alcoholic haze, you know, they were, they were human beings that would care for their home, you know, and do what every human being does. You know, it's true that we were in poverty. And you can't help that if you're on a reserve reservation and there's no jobs. And uh, the public of the Canadians were not hiring us in huge numbers because they had this identity that we're stupid, lazy, that they cannot trust us as a people, because of that created identity. And that poverty, it's so sad for me because of my understanding I've gained from watching and living this life that created identity of Indian. The quality of our food went down. You know, we were hunter-gatherers, and hunter-gatherers were healthy, fit people. It, you have, it, to survive with your own two hands requires fitness, being physically fit, mentally fit, spiritually strong, to go out and gather the food in the mountains, in the lakes and the rivers, enough to live every day to preserve food for the wintertime when the, when the snow comes and the lakes are frozen and the rivers, to have enough food to survive for the winter and still be healthy, which requires protein, you know, and <laughs> fruit, dry fruit and different vegetables. They were, that required huge fitness. Healthy healthy mind to do that, to survive, to live a good life. So when you put people on a reservation, there's a boundary there. I remember I'd see them on a the reservation, there were stakes driven into the ground with numbers on them. Became like our wall. We cannot hunt beyond that boundary or do anything beyond the boundary. We're on the reservation. So, there was laws made on hunting and fishing off the reservation where we could go before and get what we needed. And we'd done it in such a an intelligent way that there was nothing going extinct when we were here by ourselves, and there was plenty of deer, moose, fish, grouse, fruit, berries. So you take that away. The quality of our food changed, and there was an introduction of salt and sugar into our diet. And alcohol you know, and flour. And that has had an impact on our physical health, our well being. Salt and sugar is not just an indigenous addiction, because I see it as an addiction. You know, and you go to fast food joints, there's lots of salt and sugar in the pop and on the fries, and even there's a salt shaker, you can add more. But that had a tremendous impact on our health as a people. We're overrepresented in physical ailments in this country. The one example of diabetes. Oh, the harms of that. I've seen some of my relatives, their eyes start to get impacted, their body, their kidneys. From the diabetes. The other impact, being locked under res, of course, is our 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 houses and our clothing, you know, every part of our life. We're in these small res houses at the beginning of reservations. Overcrowded. At one time, everyone made their own clothing. You know, materials from Mother Earth and from the animals, and birds, and they made their own clothing, and I'd see pictures of them, and they looked so good. They looked beautiful, buckskin, in different furs. You could see, I could see that self-assurance, that good self-esteem, in these photographs of i've seen of people dressed in the clothing they made when you're poor you buy what you can afford that includes food and clothing so as i watched this growing up on the rez i became i started to become depressed Not angry or or afraid so much, but just depressed at what I was seeing and hearing. And I look back and it was not 24-7. So the depression I experienced lasted a while. It stayed in my mind. And I did not see the beautiful things. So that was... The impact on me being an Indian. Then, as I continued on my journey, and I started to, when I, you know, when I come to, and I tell people I come to when I quit drinking and drugging, and I started to see the beauty, the resilience, in people would say, yeah, I'm an Indian, I'm a good Indian, you know, <laughs> I'm a powerful American Indian movement from the United States, you know, we started to change that image of drunken Indian, but a good person, and they started to bring back the language and the music to the people of how it used to be before colonization. And I started to, to listen. And that's why I believe I survived. They call me a survivor of residential school. And I add to it, I'm a survivor of colonization. It's because I started to listen and to see the goodness of indigenous way of life, of ceremonies, of, you know, the teachings about puberty rites, you know, the training methods that they used to help the babies and children become part of the circle. No one was left behind. <laughs> I see that's a beautiful way of life. Started listening to the elders. You know that we're there all the time. That we're there waiting. Because it switched around, I I could remember vaguely elders talking in community meetings and everybody listening. And today it's sort of turned around, and young adults, middle-aged adults talking, and the elders listening. And as I've told you, I I started to listen. And I would hear positive, undefeated, indigenous people that refuse to be victims and live in anger, fear, or depression, but embrace their identity, embrace their teachings, embrace their music. And I started to look for them. And I would listen. And I'd absorb their teachings that they'd lay at my feet. And one of the ones that I heard was the late, great Chief Dan George. <laughs> I'd seen him in um, a CBC television series where he's an elder. And of course, he's wise. He was wise. He, he was wise. I listened to his relatives. One of his sons became one of my teachers. And, of course, he ended up in movies. But I just loved his message. So I heard this message in Canada's birthday, 100 years. And I heard his message. This is years after he gave the message. But I heard it. And it inspired me and motivated me to another level. So I want to share that with you.
1: How long have I known you, O Canada? A hundred years? Yes, a hundred years. And many, many years more. And today, when you celebrate your hundred years, O Canada, I am sad. For all the Indian people throughout the land, For I have known you when your forests were mine, when they gave me my meat and my clothing. I have known you in your brooks and rivers where your fish flashed and danced in the sun and whose waters said, come and eat of my abundance. I have known you in the freedom of your winds and my spirit, like your winds, once roamed this good land. But in the last hundred years since the white man came, I've seen that freedom disappear, just like the salmon when they mysteriously go out to sea. The white man's strange customs I could not understand pressed down upon me until I could no longer breathe. When I fought to protect my home and my land, I was called a savage. When I neither understood nor welcomed this new way of life Ignored in your history textbooks. We were less important in the history of Canada than the buffalo that ranged the plains. I was ridiculed in your plays and motion pictures. And when I drank your fire water, I got drunk. Very. How can I celebrate with you this centenary, this hundred years? Shall I thank you for the reserves that are left me of my beautiful forest? Shall I thank you for the canned fish of my rivers? Shall I thank you for the loss of my pride and authority? even among my own people. For the lack of my will to fight back, shall I thank you for my defeat, for I am defeated. No, I must forget what is past and gone. Hope God in heaven, Give me back the courage of the old chiefs. Let me wrestle with my surroundings. Let me once again, as in the days of old, dominate my environment. Let me humbly accept this new culture. And through it, rise up and go on. Oh God, like the thunderbird of old, I shall rise again out of the sea. I shall grasp the instruments of the white man's success, his education, his skill. And with these new tools, I shall build my race into the proudest Zygmunt of your society. And before I follow the great chiefs who have gone before us, I shall see these things come to pass. I shall see our young brave and our chiefs sitting in the house of law and government, ruling and being ruled by the knowledge and freedom of our great land. So shall we shatter the barriers of our isolation. So shall the next hundred years be the greatest in the proud history of our tribes and nations.
0: I learned um, about cultural capital, which simply means someone has the culture, the indigenous culture. This man is my cultural capital. And other knowledge keepers, elders that carry the language, carry the knowledge of ceremony and food clothing, implements. That's a road back for all of us. Because that eradicated the feelings of me, myself, and my mental health issues that I'm not Indian enough because I do not know the language. I do not hunt and fish for my food every day. I do not make my own clothing. You know, I... I was called an Apple Indian by some of my people, which means I was red in the outside and white in the inside because I didn't speak the language. I was doing what the white people done. I was drinking, you know, (laughs) because that's not indigenous drinking alcohol because we never had it. So when I was identified as not Indian enough or indigenous enough, it brought on these mental health issues for me of anger, depression, fear. And I rode back to where I am today. I started to ask myself, Who are you? Of course, I would say, I'm a grandson, I'm a son, I'm a nephew, I'm a husband, I'm a father. I'm a cousin, I'm a friend, I'm a house painter, (laughs) I'm an addictions counselor, you know, but I was still insecure. And then when I started going into traditional music, with the drums and rattles and sticks or just my voice, singing with others and by myself, dancing. That's when I would feel indigenous. If I walk into the longhouse, I'm totally indigenous. I go to the sweat lodge ceremony, to the healing circle, to powwows, to different hour activities where people are sober and look good. I'd feel 100% indigenous, even though allegedly I have Spanish and Irish ancestors somewhere in me. You know, I, I accept today that I am statlium. Of course, I struggled in my life with this Canadian identity because I carry a Canadian medical card, driver's license, bank cards, you know. I'm part of that Canadian society. I've used their medical services, their police services. I became involved in their universities and colleges and health services. Today I do that still, but I am involved as a Stetlium person. And I'm very proud of that ancestry of Stetlium. My people. So I became as days went on and years. I became more comfortable in my own skin, as being Statlium. And behind me was a Canadian, Statlium first. I, I accepted that Canadian part because, you know, I cheer for Team Canada and hockey and soccer and other sports, track and field. You know, and, um, and I think about it, my late father fought for everybody in Canada by going to the Second World War in Europe against Nazism. And he didn't seem to have an identity problem always walked with his head up walked with purpose never complained fed us clothed us taught us and he you know he worked in logging companies as a school bus driver was his last job but he was growing our our food hunting and fishing So I I started to recognize my dad as bicultural. He could walk in both worlds but never forgot who he was. You know, growing up with this identity issue, I was avoiding pain. I was drinking, I was drugging, I was addicted to TV and different things, you know, I Because I was avoiding. You know, you avoid things by addictions. You start to have extreme emotions of anger or depression or anxiety, fear. And when you do that and you don't deal with your negative emotions, you share them with other people which is unfortunate that I was doing that. But after listening to knowledge keepers, to traditionalists, to ceremony people, to orators, I became Sahilthit, a.k.a. Gerald Douglas Andrew Ullman, a.k.a. Jerry Oldman. And I expanded my behavior, positive behavior by doing ceremony consistently. I sweat ceremony once a week, I burn medicine every day, I sing. I'm kind, I'm generous, and that expanded who I am. I'm careful with my words. I'm sincere. You know, this positive change has been good for me. Positive relationships are created because of the way I think and act today. When I see those seven teachings. I first heard them from one of my late cousins in Statliam Territory, and he would talk about the seven laws or the seven ways of being indigenous, and he'd talk about respect, how we respect ourselves, we respect what keeps us alive, water, food, trees. And that word to be courageous, to have courage, to be who we are, to speak up. <laughs> like my elder says, every time someone steps on you, if you do not make noise, they'll keep stepping on you. That's an example of courage. To be honest. Because when you're honest, people believe and trust you. To value wisdom, to look for wisdom, then share it with others. It's a wisdom that helps us straighten ourselves out when we get lost. To have humility. Like my grandmother asked, don't think you're better than other people. You know, it'll hurt you. It'll hurt your family. And to be truthful. That honesty and truth, to speak the truth to look for the truth. And finally, to have love, to be committed. I've been lately, I've been saying that love is not a feeling, but it's a commitment. And that commitment is respectful, honest, with humility, then the warm feelings flow between the human beings that are committed to each other. that makes sense to me. I accept that, that love is a commitment. So Canada now is 156 years old. That's a young country. Very young. Now in my identity, who am I? I'm Sahilthit. And I'm Statliam. Canadian. <laughs> it took me a long time to say that. But I say it today because I exist in both worlds. I wouldn't be honest if I said I'm not Canadian. Because I use, like I admitted, I use Canadian medical services. I use their money, their identity, my passport says Canadian. So that's who Sahilthit is. And I'm not conflicted about it. This is me. I'm not telling you to to how to identify. I'm, I go back to my way. I remember the elders. Coming in to a room. How are you doing, my friends and relatives? So you're either a friend or a relative. And that's the way I choose to be today. When I see people, uh, and those are my friends, those are my relatives. And realistic enough to know that they're not all going to be my friend. You know, there are people that resent me for being indigenous. So I see what I encourage. Let's rise up and grasp the tools of Canada and influence them. Be influencers in regards to indigenous values and principles that prevented extinction in this country, to understand we have something to offer to all of those ones that come to Canada. And one of my elders said, they're not going anywhere, Jerry. We have to work with them. And that's what I do today. Because I accept that reality. that no one's going anywhere because there's 36 million non-Indigenous people in Canada today. So I accept that reality. And uh, what we do when we go back, when we go work with these ones, perhaps we get to land back to the way it used to be, sound and healthy, Beautiful clean water, clean air, nothing going extinct. So that's what I do today. I say seven generations. Let's think of what life's going to be like. Because a generation, when we use the term seven generations, use... 80, the number 80. So 560 years from now, how is it going to be on Mother Earth and Turtle Island? I say that so we can all, I can think of, be careful what I do today. Like, you know, I don't fish anymore. Boy, I used to love fish for sockeye, but I don't anymore. But when I did, I was careful And I was sincere and I was respectful. I had ceremony before I fish. I'd give thanksgiving for the fish. And I would share it with people and I was generous. And I'd only take what I need. That's way. It's a beautiful way. So can we bring it, can we have land back the way it used to be? And you know, that's a a big question, but I... I'm going to be like those elders that would never give up on Mother Earth or each other. So, I'm glad I've sorted out my identity, my mixed blood, being statlium and being Canadian. And then I'll add to that, and I've said this, that I'm a citizen of the planet Earth. And I must accept that reality. That I'm a citizen of planet Earth. And nowhere else I can go off this planet called Earth. I'm an Earthling. (laughs) So I'm going to rise up and do what I can. Now that identity is no longer an issue, it's a heal I don't want to fight anybody that disagrees with me. I celebrate with the ones that agree with me because I accept we all have different views and we work through them that's the indigenous way we don't stop because of a disagreement but we work together on what we believe together what's acceptable as a group and then we Eradicate what's not acceptable by working together in a respectful manner. So that's this podcast I called Oh Canada because my mentor, the late great Chief Dan George, says, Oh Canada, I cannot celebrate with you today. But encourages Indigenous people to rise up and go there and influence, be influencers to Canada about Indigenous Way, Principles and Values. So that's my podcast called O Canada. Thank you for listening.